Good morning, everybody. Today uh, marks a, a significant day in the life of our church because Pastor Dan and Sandy Smith, uh, this is their last Sunday serving with us. And they are uh, moving their ministry up the road a piece on Route 2 to Severna Park, one of our uh, daughter churches, in fact, our very first one from back in the 70s. And so we are glad to, um, for them, sad for us, but glad for them that God is going to do that. He's been a pastor here for the last uh, 19 years and really been part of both Sandy and Dan, part of this church for way more than 30 years. Uh, Dan uh, came to Christ through our student ministry, uh, was an intern, then the church uh, sent them to seminary, came back, and together they went and planted Grace, one of our other daughter churches down in South County, and then came back to us. And so uh, we had a reception uh, for them. We uh, gave uh, gifts, and we are so delighted. But it's almost um, bittersweet. You know, it's, it's sweet that uh, God is going to use them in this way. It's bitter because I don't want them to go. In fact, I was so uh, morbid at the 8.30, Dan said it felt more like a funeral. <laughs> there's, there's been uh, no one in the last uh, 13 years that has uh, meant more to me in ministry in our church than Dan Smith. Uh, you would say about your wife, yes. I'm not forgetting Kathy. She's later in the sermon. But Dan communicates the gospel uh, better than anyone I know. Um, I told Dan when I got here, he wanted to know what he should do. And I said, I don't really care what you do, Dan. I just want you. So figure it out, write your own position description. It's not that important because I don't think the last 13 years would have been as enjoyable or fruitful without God's blessing of Dan and Sandy Smith for us. And, and I know that's not the best, but thank you. You not only have so ministered to everyone uh, but also to the pastor, and that's unique and rare. So thank you. Now I'm going to make a turn. <laughs> hard to make the turn. This is where the turn was hard at 8.30. It's going to be hard now. If you have a Bible with you, I'm going to read a few verses from Ecclesiastes chapter 11. In fact, in the Bible that's in the pew rack with you, it's on page 711. Or you can follow along on the screen. I'm going to read the last few verses of chapter 11 and the first verse of chapter 12. And then uh, hopefully explain them in a way that is beneficial to all. So Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7. Here the word of the Lord is, I read. Light is sweet. And it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. 
But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. May God help us to understand this, his most precious word. Can I just for a moment just pray and prepare our hearts? Father, we thank you for your word that is laid before us. Help us to see you, to hear you to be changed by you, to be encouraged, to rejoice in you, to know that you are for us on our best days and our worst days. Come, meet us here and give us life. In Jesus' name, amen. Light is sweet, and it's a pleasure for the eyes to see the sun. Maybe he wants us to think about a long week that we've had, one that is particularly difficult, hard. It was a troublesome, and the sun has been uh, shut out, and and the weather is not good. It's uh, been a week where we have not even probably been outside much. And then maybe at the end of the week, he's getting us to think about when this long, hard, difficult week and this terrible weather finally parts and the sun shines. And what do we do? But we go outside and we stand in the light and we just absorb the rays. We enjoy the light and its warmth. And that's what he means by pleasure. This writer, I think, is making a comparison that that experience is being compared to looking at your life. Specifically, he wants us to look at our life in light of the presence of God in it. He wants us to take a look at our life, whether we are old or young, no matter what our age is. For some of you here, you're, you're young. And so you can't look back much because there's not many of those days. So he's asking you to look forward. Look into the years that are coming. Us of, uh, others of us, here's the hard part, us, we've been on the earth a while many years, and for some many, many years. And so we're looking back at all of those years. And he wants us to look, whether forward or back, with this idea, these three big rubrics in mind, these three concepts, these, these three commands. One is found in verses uh, eight and nine, and that is simply to rejoice. We see he wants us to rejoice in all of our days, good and bad. Secondly, in verse 10, he, he wants us uh, to remove, remove something from our hearts. And then in verse 11, he's going to say, I, I want you to remember. Oh, please remember your creator. 
And so let's look at those beginning with rejoice. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. And I'm good with rejoicing. It's the all's the problem. He wants us to rejoice in all of the days, the ones that have been very good and the ones that aren't very good. And he says there's many of them. In fact, verse 8 says, these days are what? Filled with darkness. For there will be many. Why? That's not how we operate. Typically, when we get around uh, classmates or we have an anniversary or a birthday party, we celebrate what? The high points. We talk about nostalgia, the way things once were. We, We talk about the good times. We don't really reminisce the bad and yet he wants us to rejoice in both why he wants us to rejoice in both because god is present in both we tend to think he's only there in the good times we call them blessings we forget that he's also there in the dark days too and he's at work in both he's there and he's at work and so just briefly for a second i just want to tell you what god's goal is for us His goal for you, his goal for me, he's actually got three. And I'm sure there's many, many more. But these are the kind of the three that I wrestle with and and just want you to know. God's first goal for you, goal for me, is to experience his forgiveness. To know what it's like to hear him say, I have forgiven you. You know what that's like? You know, you've You've offended somebody, you've hurt somebody, and you go to them and you say, hey, you know, I I hurt you, and I I didn't want to hurt you, but I did hurt you, and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Do you remember what it feels like when they turn to you and they say, yes, I forgive you? You remember that relief feeling you have, that experience, just in those brief moments when somebody looks you in the eye and knows you, they've got you. You've done something to them, and they've got it. And they say to you, I forgive you. God wants us to have that experience with him. Because that's just an appetizer. That's just a longing for a permanent forgiveness. That he wants us to enjoy. Do you know why we have that relief feeling? That feeling when someone says, I forgive you. That that beautiful moment of joy. When we know that what we have done is not being held against us anymore. It is because when we, when we sin, when we do something that hurts someone, when we offend someone, it creates a debt, a weight. That's what the Bible calls it. It says for the wages, the, pay, the, the debt of sin. And when somebody forgives us that we have offended or done something, they're actually saying, when they say, I forgive you, they're saying, I will pay that debt. Not you, not you the offender, me the offended. That's what forgiveness means. That I look at you and I'm not going to I'm not going to ask you to pay this off. I'm going to do it myself. That's why it feels so good. Cuz we know that what we have done is no longer the weight we carry. And he wants us to know that that's exactly what he has done with us. The way Ephesians uh, tells us in Ephesians 1, it says, In him, talking about in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's Bible speak. 
for offending, for sinning. According to the riches of his grace, and my favorite word in the whole Bible is in this verse. When he says that I, I forgive you, it says that he does it by grace. That is something you don't deserve. I forgive you because you don't deserve it. And then he uses this word that is so beautiful and so unused in our vocabulary. Lavishly. I lavished it. Has anybody ever lavished something on you? That means they've given you more than you asked for. More than you expected. Way more. It's, it, it's, it's like you ask for something and they give you twice. That's one of the things that he wants us to know. And we get all kinds of little appetizers. People forgive us all the time. When we say, hey, this is what I've done. It's terrible. I'm sorry. Here's the reason I did it. Will you forgive me? And then they turn around and they say that. You know, the, the best person for me that has taught me more about that is my wife. My kids would tell you that the strongest person in our family is my wife, their mother. She's not strong because she can deadlift my weight, which she probably can. <laughs> she's, not, she's not strong because she's got endurance, what she does. She's not strong because she has what the, the high tolerance of pain. That is, she can go forever with pain. I mean, gosh, I have three kids. I'm telling you, I, I really believe this. If guys, if we had to birth babies, there would have been one. <laughs> now, I'm not talking about one per family. I'm talking about one. I can't tell you how many times I've offended her in life. And she is always forgiven. The second thing he wants for us is freedom. He wants us to taste it, to, to own it, to feel it, to experience freedom. Paul gives it a little glimpse into that when he begins to talk about his own sin in Romans chapter 6 and 7. When he talks about his own sin, he talks about it as, I didn't even know coveting was a bad thing until I read it was a bad thing. And now I see I covet it all the time. And he says, it's not, it's not me. It's the sin in me. That's what's going on. And, and so when he, he begins to talk about that, and he also talks about pride and struggling with pride, he, he, he says in chapter seven, verse 24, he says, wretched man that I am. This is the St. Paul. He says, who's going to deliver me? from this body of death. And he answers his own, his own question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then the, some of the most beautiful verses in the entire Bible are, are given in, Matthew, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you what? Free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, this is verse 3, because it was weak to bring about freedom. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh in order to condemn sin in the flesh. You know, 
I've got lots of issues. I have terrible pride. You would think a person who has a church in the PCA that is this large and this beautiful and this wonderful and you people who love well, not just me, but my family and each other, that would be enough, but it is never enough. Or my self-image, that comes from, as I've shared many a time, uh, my upbringing, low, low self-esteem. God's not asking me to have a high self-esteem. He's just asking me not to have any. Or vulnerability. My problem with vulnerability, by the way, is not you knowing me. My problem with vulnerability is feeling vulnerable. I hate that feeling. That you know something that I can't control. And it's a part of me that I don't want people to know. He wants me to experience freedom in those things. I love the song that we were just singing just a few moments ago that we have been freed from fear. That's what's at underneath all of those is fear. Don't you want to experience that freedom too? Don't we all? You know, if we were a Baptist church right now, somebody would have said amen. (laughs) But we're not. We're Presbyterian. The third goal that he has for us, if, if the first one is to experience his forgiveness, the second is to, to know freedom, the third is that we might flourish. He wants us to be all that he created us to be. You know, Paul's favorite phrase, whenever he, he sent a letter, it's in every one of his letters, grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. That word Uh, Peace is the word shalom. It doesn't mean simply, I want you to feel copacetic. I want you to feel good about life. I I want you to to, uh, go with the flow. No, when he wishes peace, he wishes wholeness, wellness. He wants us to flourish. It's why churches for generations would, during the worship service, pass the peace. And it's not an opportunity to say hello. It's an opportunity to wish and hope and pray that somebody you're talking to would be well, would be whole. You know, a couple of four weeks ago, I had this, this uh, surgery where they straightened the foot out. And I kind of told you that it was during that message where I said that the, the Bible says that some things that God makes crooked can't be straightened. I gave you the impression that though my foot can be fixed, my crookedness can't. And that's not true. It's not true. You know, when I'm talking about lifting heads, the Bible always talks about God lifting our head. There are things that I walk around with a limp and probably will, but I can still pray and he still can remove those things. We shouldn't try. I shouldn't try to limit God and make you think that God is limited to fixing what in you is broken. So the first thing that he wants us to do as we are on this journey of looking back for older folks and looking forward for younger folks is to rejoice. Rejoice in all of our days, good and bad, for God is present and at work in all of them 
to know his forgiveness, to experience his freedom, and to flourish as his healed sons and daughters. The second thing, and it's a little harder, is this idea in verse 10 to remove the vexation from your heart. Vexation is an old word. We don't really use that anymore. I don't typically hear people say, I'm vexed. You vex me. That's something you would hear on Jeopardy. Things that are vexing. But it simply means to frustrate. It means to trouble you. It means to weigh you down like a burden until your shoulders slump. And the context that he has here is not the cares of the world that are going on, something going on in your family, something going on at your job, something going on in the church. In fact, I think he has something very specific in mind that's troubling us. And you see it in the, in the next phrase in verse 10 when he says, remove vexation from your heart. And then he says, put away pain from your body. If you look in your Bible, sometimes there's a number that is written by a word. And in mine, it has the word pain. And, and so the, the word, the Hebrew word, had to cover a number of things. And, and the connotation of this kind of pain is the word evil. And so when he's asking us to remove things that vex our hearts, he's talking about sin. He's talking about the evil that leads us to sin. That's a burden that we carry as a weight. That's what he's talking about. And, and so when you begin to think about how do you remove things that vex you that way, that trouble you, sin. Well, rather than thinking and be anxious for nothing but by prayer and supplication, think of Ephesians 4 where it says this, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What he's setting up is is almost a pattern for our lives. That is, because we're a new creation, because we're in Christ, we've been united to Christ, we still have vestiges of these old sinful ideas and practices. And they need to be identified and removed because they're not part of the new life. They're only part of the old life. They're not who we are now. They're part of who we were. And so he, he kind of puts it in this idea of changing clothes, taking off old clothes and putting on new clothes. But the key verse in that passage is not verse uh, 22 or verse 24, the put on and the put off. But in verse 23, when it says, you need, in order for this to happen, to be renewed by the Spirit. Now, I recognize this is hard work. But I, rec- but I want you to understand it's hard work for a different reason than we tend to think. We think this is hard work, the putting off of putting on, because it's all our work. We do the putting off and the putting on. That's impossible for us to do. It's not just hard. It's impossible if it wasn't for verse 23, where all the power is, where all the means, where all the ability comes from. And that is simply that it's a work of faith, not of discipline. That we need to believe this gospel 
that's at work in us to renew our hearts and empower us to say no to what we once were and yes to who we now are. So this is the second thing he wants us to do while looking at our lives, whether forward or backwards. And that is to look at and identify the things that are vexing us, things that are the vestiges of who we once were before we were united to Christ and deal with them, as painful as that might be. The last thing is in verse 1 of chapter 12 where he asks us to remember also your Creator. In the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure. You know, when you read that verse, you tend to think, oh, he's, he's warning against atheism in the church. People who grew up in the church and then abandoned the faith. And that is a danger, but that's not really what he's talking about. He's not talking about us abandoning the faith. He's talking about us living as though the faith doesn't matter. He's talking about a functional agnosticism that grips our hearts as Christians, that we act as though God is not present, doesn't care, not involved, not at work in our lives. And that's almost like an, 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 an I can't even say it now, agnosticism. That is, yeah, we know he's there. He's just not all that involved. He's not all that at present. To remember the Creator is to look at God and make Him first and the greatest priorities of our lives. It is to take all of our loves and to put them in order with God first. So that all the other loves that we have don't get obliterated, but they have an order to them. They have a meaning. They have a purpose. Because they all point us to this one love. Our love for God and God's love for us. And therefore, we living always and everywhere before the face of God. But if we're going to be honest, if I'm going to be honest, sometimes we fail miserably. I fail miserably to live this way. And when I fail, it feels like death to me. I don't know if it feels that way to you that when you fail to live as though God is at work on your best day and your worst day. How does that feel for you? I know that sounds a little too touchy-feely for Presbyterians. But that feeling is okay. Because when they came to Jesus and they said, what does it mean to be a disciple of yours? And Jesus said to them, I'm going to tell you, I want you... If you wish to come after me, I want you to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Even Jesus says a little bit of following him is a lot like dying to ourself. And why is that okay? It's okay because it's out of the ashes of death, this brokenness of our lives, something new and better rises. You see, our God doesn't resuscitate. That's too small a thing for him. To wait till you're mostly dead. But instead, he comes into your life after you're fully dead. Till after there's 
no hope for you to fix your life. And out of those ashes, he brings life. Because for our God, it's no too small a thing to raise the dead. Because if you're in Christ, you were dead, but now you're alive. You were blind, but now you see. One of my favorite verses, and this is how I'll end it, in the whole Bible, is in Isaiah chapter 40. Now, you might say, because it has the word eagle in it, it's because I love Auburn, and they have eagles. It's because we don't know what our mascot is. Right before every game, they have this eagle that flies over the whole stadium, and then comes down, and And everybody cheers. And it's a wonderful thing. That's not why I like this verse. I like this verse for something else it says about that eagle. When we think about the future, when you think about the future, when you think about the troubles that are coming your way when you're young but you don't know about, you just know they're coming, the dark days. Or maybe you're older and you've lived enough that you've had your dark days and you hope you've had your last, but it's probably not true. You need something encouraging to hold on to. And someone will give that to you out of Isaiah 40, verse 30 and 31. He says, even youths, I like that. Even you guys. You're going to faint and you're going to grow weary. Young men who you think can do anything, you're going to become exhausted. But those who wait on the Lord... He's going to renew your strength. You're going to mount up on an eagle. I have no idea what that's going to look like, but it sounds awesome. Maybe over an Auburn football game. They shall run and not be weary. We're going to walk and we are not going to fall. We've never known a day like that. But that day is coming. The way that Ecclesiastes tells us in verse 5 of chapter 12 is that our hope is in our eternal home where one day this is going to be our reality. And he gives us a little bit of appetizers now to encourage our hearts that we might rejoice in the good days and the bad days. That we that we might remove that which vexes our hearts and troubles them. And so that we might remember him, our creator. He not only is present in your life on your best day and your worst day, he's at work to make you like his son, well and whole. May you have shalom. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the joy of our salvation that though we walk sometimes through the valleys of the shadow of death, we fear no evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And though sometimes we are, are faint, we fall, We don't do well. The days are dark. And the nights are long. And we haven't seen the sun 
much. Bring us into the light. Taste the sweetness. Have the pleasure in the good days, in the good things that you give us as our God. Help us, Lord, to do that for each other as we speak the truth in love. We build one another up in grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.